Welcome to the West Point Sermon Podcast. This is your place for audio for past and future messages. Video versions of this podcast are available at the link in the podcast description. Be sure to subscribe so you get updates when new sermons are posted. Thanks so much for listening. This morning we're continuing this message series on uh, what does God say about, and uh, this morning's topic is science. What does God say about science? And you may think, well, God doesn't really say anything about science. Well, you're wrong. Um, we're going to explain that a little bit later. But before we do, I got a joke this morning. And it actually fits the message this morning. I'm, I'm working extra hard this week, okay? So <laughs> get ready. This is a good one. Boy was sitting on the park bench with one hand resting on an open Bible. And he was loudly exclaiming his praise to God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! God is great! He yelled without worrying whether anyone heard him or not. Shortly afterward, along came a man who had recently completed some studies at the local university, feeling very enlightened in the ways of truth and eager to show his enlightenment. He asked the boy about the source of his joy. Hey, asked the boy in return with a bright laugh, don't you have any idea what God is able to do? I just read that God opened up the waves of the Red Sea and led the whole nation of Israel right through the middle. The enlightened man laughed lightly, sat down next to the boy, and began to try to open his eyes to the realities of the miracles in the Bible. That can very easily be explained. Modern scholarship has shown that the Red Sea was only 10 inches deep at that time, and it was no problem for the Israelites to wade across. The boy was stumped. His eyes wandered from the man back to the Bible, laying open in his lap, the man, content that he had enlightened a boy, naive uh, young person, to the finer points of his scientific insight, turned to go. Scarcely had he taken two steps when the boy began to rejoice and praise louder than before. The man turned to ask for the reason for this resumed jubilation. <laughs> wow, exclaimed the boy happily. God is even greater than I thought. Not only did he lead the whole nation of Israel through the Red Sea, he topped it off by drowning the whole Egyptian army in 10 inches of water. <laughs> oh, I, that one was good. <laughs> I don't even care if you laugh. That one's funny. I'm laughing. No, <laughs> like I said, you may think that the Bible actually doesn't talk about science, but you're wrong. In fact, science was ordained by God. And uh, in fact, this is what it says in Psalm 111, verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Now, this is the definition of science. The intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study and the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. Sounds a lot like what we read about in, in Psalms, right? Um, so this morning, we're going to continue on this series. We're going to have some discussion time. And uh, if, if you haven't been here the last couple weeks, what we've been doing is breaking into small groups. And I just want to quickly go over the ground rules again. Uh, you guys are doing great, by the way. I can tell you're highly engaged in this conversation here. You know, I want to talk a little bit this morning about how science and faith actually work together beautifully. Uh, God created this earth. We believe that with all our heart. Um, and we believe that the things that, that he designed, the things that he made, uh, that they are not in opposition to our faith, but rather they enhance and they enrich and they enlighten our faith. 
Um, Romans 1, 19 through 20 says this very thing. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Thank you. So they are without excuse. In other words, science doesn't contradict the existence of God. It's ultimately overwhelming evidence in the support of the existence of God. Thank you. So what we see in the world is evidence of a creator. If you look out at our world right now and you see the complexity that exists in our world. You see things as majestic as the Rocky Mountains. If you've ever driven through the Rocky Mountains before, you know what I'm talking about when you have that kind of like take your breath away moment. Like you're driving through a cornfield in Nebraska and even the first half of Colorado, it seems like, and it's like it will never end. It's like you could fall asleep at the wheel and you'd be just fine because the road is just perfectly straight. It's one giant cornfield. And you finally, like, begin to see the horizon and you see the mountains in the distance. And it's like, oh, that's a mountain. And, and you don't realize that you're still a long ways away from them. But once you start to get closer and then you start to go up into the mountains and you begin to see how amazing and how massive and how spectacular those mountains are. And you look at that and it's just, it takes your breath away. And you have something as big and as massive as that. And then you look at our bodies and how we're formed and how we're created and how we operate and everything that has to work a certain way in order for us to be alive. Down to the cells and the particles of a cell and, and all these different things that, that we can't even explain. And you think about how every detail from the biggest of the biggest things, the mountains and the oceans and, and all of that, to the, the smallest particle, and how all of that works together to form the world that we live in and the way that, that we function as, as living things. How can you possibly say there is no God? I mean, in my mind, that is, that is overwhelming evidence. So science gives us evidence of God. That means we don't have to fear science. Science is not going to discover anything that's going to shake our faith in our creator. It might shake the perception of who we think God is. But it will not shake who he actually is because he created it all. It's not our enemy. It's not something to fear. But the Bible was written by humans, right? Now, even though it was inspired by God, it was written by humans. And so the human mind has limitations. And the human mind is limited by our human understanding. It's a the Bible is a beautiful picture of God's love for us, but it's not an all-encompassing description of who God is because the Bible is very clear that our minds cannot comprehend 
who God is. And if we would try to understand everything that makes God who he is, uh, there's no possible way that we could comprehend it. So God gave us a beautiful picture of who he is through the Bible, though one day we'll understand in full who he is in his glory. Um, he is more than we can comprehend. So therefore, our understanding of how the world works in a lot of ways is limited by our ability to interpret it and describe it through the human mind. And if we look at God that way and we understand God that way, that we are the ones who are limited, not him, then we can see the bigger picture. Um, so the existence of faith is not the abandonment of reason, right? God gave you a brain and he wants you to use it. He wants you to think logically. He wants you to um, use that thing that he's given you. He doesn't want you to abandon it. Uh, faith is, is not the abandonment of reason. It's evidence of the things that we just don't see or understand yet. Okay? So, one, uh, science is, gives us evidence of God, but two, science doesn't have all the answers. Colossians 1, 17, and I think this is part of what Andrew read this morning, actually. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, God existed before the world existed. And so, therefore, our limited perspective cannot give us all the answers and all the solutions in the world. You know, one of the things that, that um, I've done over the past year is I've, I've spent a lot of time studying nutrition and trying to understand uh, nutrition. And um, what we've discovered through science is that we know very little about nutrition in reality. Um, we, we thought in, in the 1970s, uh, we took food and we saw that there each of these, like, healthy foods had these things called vitamins in them. And so we thought, what if we just um, create these multivitamins that have all the, the vitamins that we need from these various foods, and we take one of those instead, and then we can just eat cheeseburgers and french fries and still be healthy and nutritious, right? Well, what we found out is that there's a lot more to the food that God created than what we initially understood. And we can't put it in a little tablet and call it a multivitamin and say this will take care of you because food is far more complex than what we understand. And, you know, God designed it and he created it in a way that it's going to give us the maximum benefit. So science doesn't have all the answers to everything that we need. God is far more complicated than the human mind can understand. God is also supernatural. Uh, Ecclesiastes 8.17 says, Then I saw all the work of God, that man could not find out the work that is done under the sun. However, um, man may toil in seeking, he will not find out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. We can't fully understand God. We also can't prove his existence or his absence through science. Job 38, 4 through 5 tells us, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined the measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched 
the line upon it. See, God is sarcastic too, okay? <laughs> like, he's like, where were you when I was busy creating the world? Were you there supervising, telling me how it should be done? Maybe you should trust me. Just, just throwing it out there, right? So science doesn't have all the answers, but number three, God designed our brains. He designed us to operate with both reason and empathy. You may be like, what does that have to do with anything? I'm going to show you a video that I came across this week uh, that I just found incredibly fascinating. Um, the guy on here, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but um, he talks about the benefits of faith from a scientific perspective. Um, this is 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For whoever has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. That's a question. Um, the answer is no one. <laughs> but we have the mind of Christ. Now, I want you to remember this verse because we're going to come back to it after we watch this video. But I want you to think um, through this, the lens of this verse as you're watching this video about our brains. Science shows that religion is really beneficial for personal well-being. Decades of research have shown so many positive effects of being religious. People who are religious live seven to ten years longer than people who are not. They have higher emotional intelligence. They're better at emotional self-regulation. And we know that this isn't just due to church attendance, because people who attend church just for social reasons don't show these effects as strongly as people who actually express belief in God. We even know that religious imagery improves emotional self-regulation in the non-religious. So there's lots of evidence that would suggest it's a good idea for your sake to be religious. But my work was also pushing me towards something more than that. That spirituality is good not just for you, but for those around you, for society at large. My theory predicts that if you have spiritual or religious faith, that will make you care more about others. So a few years ago, we set out to try and test this. And we ended up doing nine different experiments involving thousands of participants from all over the world, people of different religions, although largely the major monotheistic religions. And we measured not only their belief in God or a universal spirit, but we also measured their analytic thinking ability, and we measured how empathetic they are, how much they care about other people. And we found something, just like I showed you at the start, that the higher your analytic ability the less you tend to believe in God. But we also found something twice as strong, which is that the more you care about other people, the more you do believe in God. So to put this a little crudely, <laughs> if we compare the dumbest and nastiest people with the smartest and kindest, in fact, the smartest and kindest believe um, more in God. Small effect. We, we also did a number of other tests that contradict some of the things that the new atheists have claimed. We found that religious belief isn't driven by loneliness or depression. It isn't driven by a desire for comfort. And it doesn't drive people to identify or sympathize less with people very different from them. 
In fact, we found exactly the reverse, that people who are religious identify more with all of humanity. Even the friends of more religious people thought they were kinder, more tolerant, and better listeners. And that was an effect we found in addition to the person themselves expressing more concern for others. Perhaps the most surprising effect, certainly surprising to me, was that we found this relationship between empathy and religion holds even for the most dogmatic believers. That's a personality characteristic that we found to correlate highly with fundamentalism within the religious. More dogmatic religious people are actually slightly more pro-social than less dogmatic religious people. But here's what's really curious, is that the reverse holds for those who don't believe in God. If you don't believe in God, the more dogmatic you are in your beliefs, the more your personality resembles that of a psychopath. <laughs> but uh, you get the point, right? Like, that's pretty amazing. You know, science always points us towards our creator. It always points us towards the God uh, who designed us. Now, we can get into arguments about what we should believe, what... Uh, we should be believe about creation or what we should believe about um, various different things. But really, can we just stop with that argument for a second and take a step back and just be in awe of who God is and who he designed us to be? He created us not only with, with a brain that's able to reason and able to think logically, but he designed us to love people and to care about them too. And that's part of who he made us to be. Um, so we're going to move into one more time of discussion, then we'll answer some questions at the end here. But I want to do two things this morning. Um, and depending on your group, you can choose one of these two questions uh, to answer. The first one is, how is we as a church, how can we as a church do better at engaging and influencing the scientific community? And that's, I think, something um, that's really important because, frankly, uh, it's dominated by people who don't have faith in God. And that hasn't been the case throughout human history. But somehow, um, that's overwhelmingly the case now. So maybe have that discussion. How can we do better and being a part of that world and being engaged in that world and showing the world that you can that you can use your brain and still have faith at the same time. And the second one, and, and this is maybe um, a difficult question for people who are going through this right now, who are parents and have kids who are being educated from a non-Christian perspective. That's how can we teach our kids biblical truths when they're learning about science in a secular environment. And they're learning about science from people who maybe don't believe the same things that we believe. And so how can we educate them and teach them and show them the truth that, that God ultimately designed the world and he formed it and he created it and it, all of this science that um, we study points ultimately to him. So go ahead and have your discussion time and then we'll come back in about five minutes and answer a couple questions. I'm going to answer a few of these questions. You guys wrote some really good questions, actually. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit of a challenge. Shh. 
how that works. No wonder teachers do it. No. Um, <laughs> all right, I want to answer a few of these questions. Uh, first of all, what does a Christian scientist do, and how do you prove a miracle? Um, good question. All right, so a Christian scientist does the exact same thing a normal scientist does, except he believes in Jesus, okay? So we don't have to change the scientific method to be a Christian scientist. You just have to be a believer in Jesus Christ and interested in the field of science. Now, the hard part is because the, the scientific education process is so dominated by people who don't believe in God, you want to be strong in your faith before you go into that field so that you can stand firm when you're attacked because ultimately you will be. Or you can find a faith-based scientific program, uh, which they do exist. Um, but... Uh, that, that pretty much answers that question. How do you prove a miracle? You don't. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's impossible. I mean, that's why it's a miracle, right? Uh, and you can think of uh, a lot of reasons why things happen in the world, why we explain a lot of supernatural things that happen uh, through, like, natural phenomenons and things like that. Um, you know, I don't get too wrapped up in that. I just know what God has done in my life and how he's changed me and how that's a miracle. And uh, I start there. And then I've, you know, seen physical healing before in my own body. Maybe you've never experienced that firsthand. Um, the, the exposure um, to a miracle really begins with faith. When you begin to have faith and you begin to trust in God, then you begin to see the miraculous all the time. Um, it's undeniable. Once, once you start to open up your heart to see what God can do, you'll begin to see more things in the supernatural. You'll begin to experience more things because your, your faith is built up because you're trusting in him. And now you begin to give credit where credit is due. So um, what's your favorite uh, book on science and the Bible, Christian or secular? Oh, boy. Um, you know, there's, there's so many resources out there. Um, I think one book that does a really good job, uh, and I'm just going to focus specifically on the creation topic because um, this is something that's such a, a big uh, issue right now that kind of we're dealing with. Um, there's a book called Across the Spectrum, and it's written by um, uh, Greg Boyd and, and Paul Eddy, and they're actually uh, local guys here. They're in the Twin Cities. But um, what what I love about this book is it, it takes all of the kind of tough issues of evangelical theology and breaks them down into the different viewpoints that are out there. So you can read about the different viewpoints and decide for yourself what you believe. And so I think that does a really good job of preventing um, the uh, different perspectives on the creation topic. So another one related to that would be, are you a um, young world creationist or a theistic evolutionist? Um, <laughs> that's a complicated question. Uh, I, I think a lot of times um, we kind of put ourselves in the box uh, as a church when we say that the earth is only 6,000 years old because um, the genealogies in the Bible line up that way. And uh, God, the Bible says that God created the earth in seven days. Well, God also said that, that uh, a day to him is like a thousand years. So uh, we don't necessarily... I always read the Bible literally. Uh, in fact, we usually do it when we want to interpret it the way that we want to interpret it. For example, um, the Bible also says that it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. Well, in this room right now, most of you are in the top percent 
10% of the world in income earners. In other words, if you make minimum wage at the Dairy Queen, you're in the top percent of income earners in the world. So you are rich. So therefore, you're going to hell, according to what Jesus said. Now, we don't interpret that passage of Scripture so literally, but sometimes we take um, other verses that maybe aren't meant to be interpreted in a literal way, and we, and we insist that that's the way it is. Now, could God have created the earth 6,000 years ago in one day at a time, and um, all the scientific evidence, the carbon dating and stuff like that is, is flawed because of the flood? Sure. Absolutely he could have. Does that change what I believe if that's not true? Not at all. So am I a young earth creationist or am I a theistic evolutionist? Uh, I think that's a more complicated answer than, than I'm willing to get into this morning. Um, that being said, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and what he's done. I'm a believer in the fact that God said he created the world. So I am a creationist in that way. I believe that God created the earth and how he did it. Don't care, <laughs> okay? How he did it, I don't care. Uh, whether that's a literal word-for-word um, uh, -word description of how God created the earth in, in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Hey, that would be awesome. If it isn't, I don't care, all right? I, I serve a God who's, who's blown my mind on more than one occasion, and I'm not going to say this is how it is because I think this is how it should be. So... Um, there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, how, how do scientists figure the age of the earth? Um, so this is another one of the challenges because, uh, and, oh, the other thing I should mention is that um, we use kind of genealogies in the Bible to date the earth sometimes. And um, I think that in and of itself is a little bit uh, kind of naive on our part because, I mean, they're historical records based on what we have available from us. Did you know that if you look at the genealogies of, of the life of Jesus in Matthew and in Luke, they're not the same. Okay? So there's a problem there because if we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, don't you think God could have figured out how Jesus was born and who his parents were and who his grandparents were? Well, the problem is that there are a number of different historical resources that these authors were using. It wasn't like when God gave us the Bible, he said, okay, Matthew, get your pen ready. Here we go. And Matthew wrote down exactly what God said. If you think that's how the Bible was written, uh, that's just not the reality of it. Otherwise, God has terrible grammar in some instances, bad spelling and other, you know, I mean, like, because the manuscripts that we have have flaws in that way. They were written by humans, and they used human resources. They went and researched these genealogies, and they found these birth records, and um, they were obviously using different resources because they came up with close but slightly different in, in a couple different spots in that, in that genealogy. So the Bible is not a historical document. You know, it is a gift to us. It is a active and living word that God has given to us. It's his love letter to us. And so we need to read it in the proper context and understand what it is. And um, if, if we're to interpret everything literally or only the things that we want to interpret literally to fit what we want to believe, then we're reading it in a flawed way. But if we understand that God is greater than us and that his mind is greater than us, then we can look at his word and see and understand better. Okay.
Um, last one. This is a fun one. Is there life on other planets? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that being said, I think it's a really interesting thing to think about. Um, could God have created another race on some other planet out there? Absolutely could have. Um, I like to think we're special, so I'm going to just say no. <laughs> but but it's interesting to think about. You know, that's that's the thing. When when you understand how big God is, you can't put him in a little tiny box, right? So if we acknowledge that God is complicated and more complicated than our brains can handle, then that opens the door to a world of possibilities. And it gives us just a joy in, in the mystery of serving God, the mystery of following him.